Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is the Ocean Protect podcast. Talking about the issues that face our oceans and what we can do about it. Presented by Ocean Protect. Committed to change. Carla Wilson, welcome to the Ocean Protect podcast. Hey, Brad. Good to see you. <laughs> yeah. I've never seen you virtually before. Because <laughs> yeah. we actually have, we should, we should have a bit of a background. We have done a, a couple of events just recently and we've actually got one again this Friday night. You might not be there Friday night. Your movie will be there. Shown. <laughs> so this is the, the Sea Shepherd Australia. It's a Waves of Change event. This is the third of, I think, three so far. So is it the Sunshine Coast? Yeah, yeah, Cotton Tree on the Sunshine Coast. Okay, yeah. that explains. Yeah. No, yeah. I wasn't able to get to that one because it's just a bit too far yeah, for me. Yeah, yeah. And, and obviously <laughs> you are based on the Gold Coast, but you're obviously not originally from the GC in Australia. So well, I'm keen to get a little bit of background to the story because you've obviously, like how I've known you is through your making of this rubber jellyfish movie, but I'm, I'm keen to take it all the way back. And I guess first question is, how did you come to Australia? Like, What brought you to our beautiful shores? Oh, gosh, you know, loneliness and desperation. <laughs> the reason most people <laughs> relocate. No, I had, I had recently finished my bachelor's degree in wildlife science. Mm. And where I grew up in Washington State in the Pacific Northwest, it's extremely environmentally minded, but that makes it very huge competition for jobs as well. Oh, right. So I, I went for a job with the International Snow Leopard Trust and, you know, I, as a new kid, you know, 22 years old, I just wanted that more than anything. Mm. It was totally my dream job and I almost made it and then didn't, which is so much more brutal than getting cut out early. <laughs> There's nothing worse than almost getting something. And then I, I also, then I got a job as a zookeeper and they said they would let me know when the start date would be and they just never did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I finally, I was in a snowstorm in Boston and finally was able to get someone to answer the phone and they let me know that the position had been canceled. Oh, and wow. I was, and then I had to walk through a snowstorm because the bus broke down. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what is my life? Uh, it was very bleak and poetic and a great metaphor for how I was feeling. But I actually just started emailing and, and making phone calls to anyone that had anything to do with wildlife in Australia because I do happen to be a dual citizen. Oh, okay. Yep. Yep. Convict, ancestry, all that stuff. <laughs> and um, through my mother's side. Yeah. And I ended up getting on to someone at the RSPCA in Canberra. Yep. And he let me know. He was like, oh, 
well, that's interesting. He said, I'm going to be in California next month. Would you be, have a way to get there? And, you know, maybe we could have a chat. And luckily my mother very kindly offered for us both to go and we turned it into mother daughter Disneyland trip, which was epic of itself. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I went and met with him and, and he was really impressed with everything that I had to say. And he offered me a job as a temp if I ever were to go to Australia. And I just put all my eggs in one basket and went for it. Wow. Never looked back. Wow. So obviously you're in Canberra for a while, but I've got to ask you about one of your degrees. It's a master's of animal studies. Uh, I think it was at the university. Yeah, I studied bat testicles. Yes. (laughs) I can't wait to hear all about this. Because that's an area with a lot of job prospects. (laughs) (laughs) You should have seen my dad just shaking his head. Uh, Luckily, that degree was on my dime. So, you know, it was one of those, well, she's just going to do what she's going to (laughs) do. So I do have it. So when I was doing my undergrad, I was very interested in primatology and the area of study of how looking to wildlife and primates in particular, we can understand humanity. And if I could go back and start over, which I suppose I could at any point, any of us can, I would have studied primatology through the anthropology department, actually, rather than doing wildlife science. One of the areas of study that was just so fascinating to me was sperm competition and how you can actually, by measuring testicles on any given species, it tells you worlds about how that species operates socially, how the relationships are between females, size of harems, if they exist at all so much in kind of learning about all of that because then I'm the type of person that will go into these wormholes and you know rabbit holes and just explore and explore and explore and before you know it it's four in the morning and you're an expert in you know (laughs) Turkish salsa dancing or something ridiculous (laughs) and uh, one of those rabbit holes was the, the field of sperm competition and I came across this study about supposedly in micro bats there's a trade-off so because they are such tiny species And sometimes they might be as small as 12 grams. For comparison, like most people in Australia have seen a galah. Yeah. A healthy galah is about 300 grams. Wow. Wow. So that's not even a big bird. Yeah. Yeah. So 12 grams, teeny, teeny, tiny. So micropats think to themselves, all right, I don't have much of a budget here, right, for my mass. Am I going to invest in my brain? That's a very expensive, heavy tissue. Or am I going to invest in my balls? (laughs) Like make a choice. (laughs) <laughs> and, um, you know, because it can't be both ways. They're too, they're too little. And they, they have to go into hibernation all winter long, you know, just to, be, just to maintain their energy. Like they have nothing to spare. They're flying around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and so they had to make a choice. But it's actually not their choice at all. And this is what was so fascinating mm. to me. It has everything to do with female behavior. So the species where the females are very promiscuous, in order to have a shot at being the winning sperm in that race, mm. those species where females are promiscuous, the males have much larger testes. Wow. And as a result, so this the theory goes, the brains are then smaller. And so it was essentially the female's fault <laughs> that this has happened to the males. And I thought, you know what, if I think back to my dating history, there's some power. <laughs> but no, but there's actually a, not. There's a, book in this. There's, a, there's a book on this with the human. There, yeah, well, there's already been a few, but yeah, I would love to put one together from my unique point of so, view. So just to, just to summarize, if I can, speaking on behalf of the male population, it's, <laughs> it's women's promiscuity that lends itself to smaller male testicles. Absolutely. Yep. Wow. And it exists in people too. 
within cultures, there's differences in races. Mm. And I don't feel like it's stereotyping when you're talking about science, but the mm. men of Nigeria have very large testicles. Right. And the men, supposedly, according to what I've read, this wasn't personal research. <laughs> and, the, and, the men, and the smallest come from men of Hong Kong. It's actually fascinating the more you think about it. And I've often wondered, there is a stereotype of like women of certain cultures. And, you know, it could be, in some cases, there might be some truth. Like there is science showing that, you know, women of certain cultures are less likely to cheat, at least their ancestors were. And you can also see, so you can compare us against other primates. So chimpanzees, testicles are double the size of humans, roughly. I mean, they drag on the ground sometimes. It's, like, it's, it's you know, that can't be comfortable. And, and by the way, there's species that have evolved to have them within the body. And so what are primates even doing? Yeah, yeah. It's ridiculous. You wow. put your most sensitive organ yeah. just out there for the whole world. Why would you do that? Like Elephants have them inside their body. And it's very hot. Yeah. They always say that it has to do with heat. Yeah, well, yeah. Elephants figure it out some way, you know, like humans went way wrong somewhere, way back in the genes. But <laughs> wow. so humans are in the middle, right? Chimpanzees, mm. twice as big. Gorillas, half as big or less, like they're roughly the size of a grape. Wow. That's surprising, right? For a gorilla. Yeah, yeah. That's surprising. So there you go. So gorillas are a harem species. But the females are extremely loyal to the silverback. There's no competition for sperm whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I, and, you know, without looking at the genetics, but mm. that's what I've read. And chimpanzees, nah, it's like free love all the time. You know, it's like <laughs> bar and bay 20 years ago at a youth hostel every day. That's life being a chimpanzee. Wow. Humans are somewhere in the middle. So, no, we didn't evolve perfect monogamy we know that 100 percent, just from looking just looking at what we got packing yeah wow there you go i'm looking for some sort of segue but i'm not sure if i can find one <laughs> but uh i reckon we need to start talking about this rubber jellyfish movie okay it's, it's, what we're actually here to talk about you mean? <laughs> because it's a hell of a movie and i've seen it well i've seen it at least two times now i think <laughs> i saw it before the screenings as well but for those who haven't seen the rubber jellyfish movie can you give like people a like an elevator pitch yeah so it's called rubber jellyfish because when balloons, so ordinary helium balloons or any type of balloon, are released into the sky, they go so far that there's a different type of atmospheric pressure and it causes the balloons to burst in these crazy shapes that look just like a jellyfish. And because 70% of our beautiful globe is ocean, a lot of those balloons land in the ocean. And then any animal that would eat jellyfish or similar species that look like that, like squid, octopus, etc., will likely eat that balloon. And mm. that's what we're seeing. And the film focuses on turtles because that's where there's been most research and mm. activism done mm. around this. Mm. But also because sea turtles have a unique evolutionary adaptation where they can't throw up, mm. which was great back in the day before we you know, started destroying this beautiful earth that we live in, because they eat all kinds of slippery things. They eat jellyfish, you know, and they eat you know, kelp in some cases, which can be anyone that goes to the beach a lot and has mm. had that like slap up against your leg well, like, when you weren't <laughs> expecting it. It's a slick thing. And so they, yeah, they evolved these kind of barbs yeah. within the esophagus and it, and it just holds 
the food down. It allows the water to come back up, but not the food. And be, but because of that, they can't throw up. So they are royally screwed yeah. when they come across something like a balloon, unless sometimes the mature animals might be more mature animals might be better off because they've got a bigger digestive tract. The balloon might be able to make it to the other end, but in many cases they just can't. Mm. And so what happens then? And I, I know you've done talks with other people in, in this area mm. about float syndrome. Mm. But what happens when an animal, a, a sea turtle, eats something that it can't expel is it creates a blockage. Mm. And then the, but then it keeps eating because it doesn't realize this has happened. Mm. And then all the organic food that it's consumed start breaking down like a compost bin within the animal and releasing gases as part of that breaking down process within the animal. And then before you know it, the animal's actually floating around, bobbing on the top of the water, gets hit by boats, sharks, you know, and that's if it's lucky. Because what ends up happening often is it just slowly starves to death in an extremely painful, horrible way. It's ridiculous that something as silly as a balloon could be capable of that, especially when the balloon release ceremonies, because it's not just always kids accidentally losing balloons. Sometimes people are deliberately walking to the ocean and releasing balloons, you know, supposedly to their dead grandmother. And sorry if that sounds insensitive, but I'm over it, like directly into the ocean, just directly into the ocean. It's not actually going to make it up to heaven. It's not, but it might kill 80 animals, you know, so just stop it. And, um, that's what the film was all about. And especially because it is a sensitive issue. And I would never, I would never ever speak to someone like that that was actually in that situation. But that's part of it is getting the message out to people before you're in a situation where you hear about a balloon release for something like a funeral or a child that disappeared, making this public knowledge well before that so that you don't have to have that awkward situation of trying to broach the topic to someone who's grieving. The movie does a, a wonderful job of telling that story. Like you, you touch on the, the way the balloon breaks in the atmosphere. It's actually staggering to see how it does break. It literally does look like a jellyfish when it comes or a squid when it comes back to earth or in the ocean or whatever. I know we've had Dr. Kathy Townsend from the University of Sunshine Coast on our podcast before talking about, you know, this uh, inability of sea turtles to regurgitate or throw up because these little barbs on their throat, basically whatever goes into their mouth goes into their stomach. And the, the catastrophic impacts it has on these turtles and other wildlife is, is staggering. Yeah. Like particularly the turtles, like yeah. as you indicated. Yeah, like something like a bird, you know, they yeah. can throw up. Yeah. Turtles are just screwed. Yeah, but still, obviously, still a lot of birds do suffer and often die as a direct result of balloon ingestion. But the fact that these turtles are so hardy, like they literally survived through the dinosaur age and they can tolerate extreme starvation and dehydration and, and you can d generally die a very, very slow and painful death as a direct result of something that was released or, or discarded as a, some sort of positive celebration. It's As if it's a great a party or something. Yeah. And it's also an inspiring conservation topic in a way because it's one of the few things that we can do something about so easily. Yeah. Because most conservation issues are so complex. Yeah. So overwhelming. Yeah. And this one is just boom, change the legislation, change yeah. the education, it's done, you know? Yeah. And that, for me, that's a real positive. Like whilst you do show, yeah. like you said, whilst you, whilst you show a whole bunch of gruesome images and you can tell stories and yeah. and the stats are pretty uh, horrendous, but it is a positive news story. This is a problem, big problem it that is. we can actually quite readily solve. But before I get into yeah. the solutions, you don't have a background in making documentaries, I don't believe, prior to this no. rubber jellyfish. So how do you even start? 
So I guess first up, how, how does the idea of this issue come into your head? You're, you're looking at bat testicles at the university doing research and somehow I, where's this link between studying animal, uh, bat testicles uh, at a university and making a documentary about pla- a, a balloon injection? <laughs> oh, does that seem like a leap? Does most people not go like bat <laughs> testicles straight to marine debris source <laughs> reduction? No. Is that normal? <laughs> Is that not normal? <laughs> so, you know, you mentioned Kathy Townsend. Believe it or not, it was through her. What? So I... Through the okay, we all talk all day long about bat testicles, and I do too because it's hilarious. <laughs> but I was actually focusing more on the brain size, and with that, I was doing CT scans of all these tiny bat skulls, which, by the way, was hilarious because we were doing it at University of Queensland Gatton campus at the Equine Science mm. Laboratory. So it's where they do CT scans of horses, mm. right? Horses. So mm. you're picturing a bat skull, which is about the size of a fingernail going through this giant machine. Wow. But through that, I had to learn how to do some like modeling of CT images, which I've completely lost that skill now, but I learned it for a while. My supervisor suggested I go in to do a PhD looking at float syndrome turtles doing CT scans. I just did a, you know, a tiny bit of research and found out straight away, you know, Kathy Townsend's the one to talk to. She's the legend. She's the mm. queen of this whole topic. And she mentioned that soft plastics and balloons are very difficult to see on x-ray. And so she wanted to explore using CT for that purpose so mm. that when you do get the live animals through, it might be able to have a shot at working out what's wrong with them. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. In the end, though, I didn't end up going down that path because I just started doing the initial homework, like a literature review to get my head around all of where we were at with the science and could see very clearly that the science was all there. Yes, that new technology would have been great, but there's a lot of you know great people that could go on and do that. I felt compelled to bring awareness to the science that had already been done on this issue because I could also see straight away that the balloon industry was covering the science up. Mm. So that became my mission then was to reveal that bullshit and show what the actual truth was. So that became my mission. And I felt that it it didn't really need to be a PhD. I felt that it needed to be a documentary because it wasn't necessarily going to be helpful to have even more information just sitting. I mean, I could already see that there had been so much research done that was being ignored. And so I thought maybe just myself as a way to amplify the re- the work that had already been done. And look, you mentioned the science, like, and, and we've actually had uh, Dr. Morgan Gilmore and Dr. Jennifer Lavers on our podcast yeah. talking about this, one of their studies. Such rock unequivocally, stars. Yeah, rock stars, but unequivocally demonstrating that balloons just don't break down really at all. Yes. But what's really interesting, and I know you're familiar with the study because it is actually featured in your study, uh, in your movie, sorry, the balloon industry for decades relied on this very dubious uh, study by oh, was it D.K. Burchett, who is a, yeah. uh, from the National Association of Balloon Artists, which I'm not sure if that's right. a conflict of interest or not, but that's another story. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he did a study in 1989 and he came to the conclusion that, I'm going to read it out, balloons appear to degrade at about the same rate as oak tree leaves. That is a bit of science, we've got like science in an inverted commas that the balloon industry relied on for decades. Absolutely. But meanwhile, obviously, a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of scientists are, are finding balloons in marine species, birds, turtles, and they're clearly not breaking down. And for me, the Balloon Association must have a whole bunch of just balloons lying around that are clearly not breaking down, but yet they still relied on this 1989 yeah. study. 
it, which in your words, and I agree with you, it is bullshit. In the absence of someone actually telling the story and sort of presenting the science, presenting the anecdotal evidence, et cetera, showing that how balloons don't break down and they get in the guts of marine species, you've got to almost tell that story in a, in a way that people can actually readily digest. And that's what I guess for me, that's what I guess rubber uh, jellyfish was aiming to do. Absolutely. So yes, when I first started down this journey and was learning about what happens with sea turtles and one of Kathy Townsend's studies that looked at sea turtles in this area, Southeast Queensland, and Australian waters have every single sea turtle species mm. on earth, you know, so it's a good place to be studying. She found that when they open up sea turtles, of all the types of, like there's a lot of plastic in, mm. in sea turtles, but of all the rubber items... 78% was balloons or balloon fragments. I mean, that right there should be enough mm. for the balloon industry to, to trigger some kind of change. But So when I came across that stat, my next thought was, what are the balloons? There's a balloon store down the road from me. Yeah. You know, what do they have to say about this? I Googled them. I came across that Burchette study straight away. So I read that, oh, this wasn't peer reviewed. This was published by just some guy yeah. that was, and it was paid for by the balloon industry <laughs> right there is enough to throw it in the bin. You don't even have to get past the cover. Literally the first page is enough yeah. to like throw it in the shredder and be like, I'm not going to consider that. Um, and then you look into it more and it, it made all these wild statements without any kind of citation or evidence, like no. saying that a small piece of balloon would easily slide through the digestive tract mm. of a sea turtle. You can't just say things like yeah. that. You know, that's not science. In science, you have to back up every state, every single statement with evidence. And there was none of that. And it also, my favorite part, for anyone that looks up the study, you can actually see, it makes the argument that when a balloon bursts in the atmosphere, it bursts, but it bursts like magical confetti into a million pieces and it dispersed like all over the world, <laughs> right? Like that's pretty much what they're saying. But when you look at it, you look, have a look at the study. I dare you, anyone listening. Yeah. And we will, open we, up will the include, study. we will include a link to the study in the show notes. Yeah, definitely. Great. So look it up. You see a, a, an image there of what they reckon is this confetti-like mm, um, mm. little strands of balloon and what it bursts into. It's a rubber jellyfish. I'm trying really hard not to swear. <laughs> it's a, it is a bloody rubber jellyfish balloon. It looks like a jellyfish. You can see that the whole thing's intact. It's a single piece. Mm. Even their own study contradicts itself. Um, and the other great thing about that study, and it's great to just keep these facts in your back pocket in case you mm. ever need them. <laughs> mm. You can tell I'm like best friends with everyone in the balloon industry. <laughs> Having said, I, I will come to that later. I, I do actually have a lot of respect for people, in, mm. a lot of people in the balloon industry because this wasn't their fault. They were sold a lie. But anyway, the other great thing about, about the Burchette study, studies in giant air quotes, um, <laughs> is... It actually never looked at what happens to balloons in salt water. Mm, Don't mm. you love that? The yeah. argument for 30 years that the balloon industry made, like the study that they hid behind to say that balloon releases were fine, was a study that didn't even talk about balloons in salt water. It mm. wasn't even addressed. Mm. They looked at balloons in fresh water, balloons in soil, and balloons in sunshine. Mm. Literally, they didn't even do seawater at all. So there you go. And so because of that, the balloon industry couldn't hide behind it anymore. The movie be became an, a source of embarrassment for them. Yeah, they did it. try to shut it down before it was released many times. Shut your um, movie down. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. I also, when I requested an interview from someone within the, uh, like the Australian level of the balloon, it is an organized sort of structure of mm. balloon companies and the Australia wide, like, you know, head of that organization. I forget what they're called now. 
But they told me that in order to do an interview, they would demand like editorial privilege of the film. Oh, wow. Like, yes, and stuff that. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. How do you go from identifying that there's a bit of a cover up, there's an issue that isn't getting public attention? How do you go from there and actually making a documentary about it, recognizing that you've never done any documentary filmmaking ever before? Yeah. I know. I totally winged it. (laughs) <laughs> hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th Do you want to tell people the big news all right i'll do it. sign up now and you'll get unlimited for 15 dollars a month in six months of paramount plus essential plan on us mintmobile.com slash switch upfront payment of 45 dollars, equivalent to 15 dollars per month unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month face lower speeds videos at 480p active mint customers by 531 24 get six months of paramount plus essential plan auto renews after six months offer ends may 31st 2024 separate paramount plus registration required terms and conditions apply if rated pg quality sleep is essential that's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Um, I went, I literally went to JB Hi-Fi, <laughs> bought the cheapest camera that would kind of do the job. In the early days, I had a little sound recorder. It was just the kind of thing that you might take to like a school lecture to hmm. film it yeah. or to record it. And that's how I started with just that. I learned huge amounts as I went. I All that stuff that had been filmed with the crappy audio recorder, because I didn't know what I was doing at the beginning. I got in, like an audio technician in to fix that up and bring it up to standard. But I, I completely just learned, learned as I went. I read a lot. I would film some things by just setting up a camera on a tripod and just going for it. Wow. But you know, the right people came along at the right time. At one point, I sought out a mentor and she was fab. And the editors kind of came at the right time. I just kept kind of meeting people at the right time. You've heard me speak at the screenings Mm. about how even the way that the film happened was just a miracle. I went to a cleanup, a beach cleanup event on the Sunshine Coast that they do every year called uh, Cleanup for the Hatchlings. Mm. We're all across the Sunshine Coast. They do many, many cleanups in the lead up to the hatchling emergence. Mm -hmm. I went to one of them, just one you know, because I'm a couple hours away. And at that point, I had a two-month-old baby. So it wasn't easy to travel. And I, I went in front of the group and just said, oh, look, I'm, I'm thinking about making a film. I'm interested in this topic. At this point, I had one rubber jellyfish balloon total, just mm, one. Mm, mm. I mentioned that I was interested in the film. I said, if anyone finds a balloon, just, you know, let me know. We'll come film it. I had a friend of mine there helping me because, you know, obviously there was no film funding or anything. Mm. And I was a stay-at-home mom at that point. And towards the end of the event, the organizer tapped me on the shoulder and said, you have to talk to that lady over there. And I went to see what you know she would have to say. And she was holding two gigantic uh, shopping bags, like Woolworth's shopping bags, just full of rubber jellyfish balloons wow. that her and her husband had personally collected from their local beach. And so first of all, 
that was incredible. They gave me the balloons. I was able to photograph them. We did videos of them. And I used that as evidence to take to the balloon industry and everything kind of took off from there. But more important, personally, I I just felt like in some way I'm meant to do this Mm. because where on earth... Yeah. Like when you follow your passion and your values, it almost is like the, the universe conspires to support you. Absolutely. Yeah. Wayne Dyer, I don't know if anyone's familiar with Wayne Dyer, passed away a few years, but he was a like an inspirational speaker. And he used to speak about that very thing that um, the universe will meet you halfway. Mm. You know, you only have to go halfway. And, and I've, I tell everybody, like, so long as your ego isn't part of it, it is amazing how... The world almost conspires to help you. If you're doing something of value that's meaningful, that will help the world, and it's not about your own ego, mm. and you just put out a different energy to others as well, and people want to help you. Mm. I mean, because people actually do give a shit about this world. I mean, that's what I've learned from you, actually, mm. especially, mm. is how much people do care about these issues, yeah, how much yeah. people do value the ocean, they yeah. do care. When you yeah, come across as just genuine and wanting to make a difference to something that matters, it's amazing how other people will get behind you. And it kind of just supercharges your projects. Yeah. And, and it has to be pointed out. So the movie took about three years to make. I understand. Is yeah, that right? it was about, it might've even been a little bit more than that. It was probably two years of, of filming because I did a lot of stuff off and on. As I said, I had a young baby at the start of, I was at the start of the film, I'm actually pregnant and then had a second baby during yeah. post-production. <laughs> so it was like, and you know, it's funny as the editors had a baby too. Wow. So I always say, oh, it was a labor of love, you know, three labors <laughs> of love. Good things take time sometimes, you know, and, and most of us out there have a lot going on in our lives. And so I always encourage people, slow and steady wins the race, right? That's a great total mm, wisdom. Yeah. Just keep at it. Just keep, you know, pushing on with your projects. And you might go through phases where you're just not into it as well. Like mm. you just kind of, you've got other things going on in your life and you lose some motivation, but, you know, just keep coming back around to it. And what really surprised me, there's a couple of, there's a, a couple of doozy moments in the movie that really stood out. One in particular is your conversation with the balloon shop owner who yeah. has been in the balloon industry, I don't know, decades, whatever, mm. and you show him a sample of a, obviously a busted balloon that's come down to the, uh, to the ocean or to the beach, whatever, and obviously looks exactly like a, a, a squid or a jellyfish. And he looks at it and goes, oh, that's, that's impossible. Couldn't possibly have burst like that. So obviously a lot of balloon shops and balloon, I guess, sellers were kind of believing this 1989 study. So, yeah. But obviously the science and your footage and, and samples show a completely different story. Can you give some insight as to the response from people actually selling this these balloons? It was a mixed response. So there was some people saying that environmentalists are going around with tiny pairs of scissors and actually fabricating the evidence. Wow. And that it just doesn't exist and that doesn't happen. Which, you know, you know, we all have a freaking life, right? <laughs> I think there's enough real problems going on without having to like manufacture pretend marine debris issues. Like there's yeah. enough real crap. Um, so yes, there is that. And, and there was just a lot of doubling down on the study they had, the Oak Leaf Burchette study, just doubling down, you know, balloons are biodegradable, balloons are biodegradable, latex yeah. balloons, the latex balloons are biodegradable, and environmentally friendly, just one of those cases where if you say it enough times, people will believe yeah. Yeah. they were working that angle, particularly before the film actually came out, they mm. were pushing that so hard in the lead up um, to try to get out in front of it. But then the, the the, the film, I don't think they realized that the film addressed that whole thing yeah. and blew it apart. 
So um, you got that. You got a lot of people saying that I had an agenda, which if my agenda is wanting a world that we can survive in mm. that still has fish in the sea and turtles, then yeah, I have an agenda. I'm fine with that. You're so selfish, Carly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the, on the other side, there was also many people in the balloon industry that were shocked. Yeah. Or horif- horrified. Yeah. Because they had been told this and they didn't have, I mean, they had busy, busy lives and families and they're not necessarily logging on to Balloons Blow Facebook group to find all the evidence. You know, they've just been told that this is a product that is actually biodegradable. We have this study that was been that was done 30 years ago and nothing's changed. You know, they're still biodegradable and that's, the, you know, they didn't have any reason to doubt that. And we've probably all fallen for that. And, you know, I mean, even biodegradable bin bags, people buy those not realizing that. They don't biodegrade in a landfill. Mm. So, you know, um, so many people, yeah, within the balloon industry were horrified and actually very pissed off with their leadership because I, I had some frank chats with quite a few balloon store owners and I let them know that, that I had been sending scientific information and documents through to the Balloon Association trying to get them to speak to me and they wouldn't, but they also didn't disseminate any of that research down. Yeah, yeah. So I actually don't hold blame to many of the balloon store owners. In a lot of cases, they're creatives. Yeah, absolutely, they're yeah, actually, yeah. They're actually doing things, they're, you know, a type of artwork with yeah. the balloons. They're, they're not trying to go out there and ruin the world. Yeah. You know, they're just trying to run a business, often yeah. home business. And so it's not about that, but it's about the fact that their leadership, because as I said, it is an organizational sort of structure, was pushing this false message that they knew was wrong. To the credit to a lot of these shop owners and and, and suppliers and wholesalers, a lot of them did make the decision to just to stop selling balloons. Yeah. Yeah. We feature that in the film. There yeah. was one company that was a balloon party store company. Like, have you ever been to a party store that doesn't sell balloons? Mm. No. But they chose to move away from it. And actually, their revenue increased the next year. Mm. Yeah. Probably because the alternatives to balloons cost more. But people will pay. They want to have a good party. Right? Like, <laughs> whatever. If it's like 50 cents for a balloon versus 10 bucks for a banner for most people you know okay whatever yeah. you know but over sale after sale after sale after sale that can really add up so obviously we've got a whole bunch of shop owners and wholesalers making the decision to either stop selling balloons or provide alternatives if you're a individual consumer though what can you do to i guess stop your contribution to this problem is it is it as simple as just either stops buying balloons or at least making sure you don't release or discard them into the environment well, I, you know, I have two young children. I've got a six-year-old and a three-year-old, and we don't purchase balloons for any reason. Mm. And I don't think they're emotionally scarred. <laughs> and we, we talk about it all the time, you know, about why it's important, and they're on board. And I find that's the case for most children, mm. you know. Children have a wisdom that I don't think we respect the wisdom of children enough. They're not necessarily expecting a gigantic balloon display. Like, are we possibly doing that for ourselves? Is it actually for Instagram? Does your five-year-old really care? You know, I think these are important questions to ask. Mm. But I think also a major way that people can help with this issue is, is just helping to spread the message. Yeah. You know, just, just something as simple as putting a picture of a rubber jellyfish balloon up on your social media channels and explaining the situation. So many people will be shocked and that will be enough to, for them to inspire change. And then they might share that same photo. And I always tell people like, you can even do it in a passive aggressive way <laughs> because you know, some people, 
Here's, here's a good story. Okay, you might be aware of a balloon release that's planned. Maybe someone's doing a funeral or something mm. like that, but mm. it's a sensitive topic and you don't know how to bring it up. A couple of years ago, there was this lady and I kept getting phone notifications and she just kept tagging this one particular person on the Rubber Jellyfish Facebook page just over and over and over and over and over. And probably after, you know, eight of these, the person finally replies like, okay, we get it. We won't do the balloon release for Aunt Linda's funeral. <laughs> we'll think of something else. And I was like, oh yeah, passive aggressive activism. It's yeah. still effective. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's about education is what it is. And, mm. and this isn't a sales pitch for my film, um, but I really feel that getting it into schools is useful. Yeah. And um, we have a reduced length version that was created for teachers. It's free on YouTube. Mm. Anyone's welcome to watch that. It's not the full length film, but it does cut out a few of the more sensitive topics mm. yeah. related to people that I didn't yeah. want to have children yeah. watching. And it also... Is shorter, you know. I think it's helpful mm, when you're mm, dealing with kids, mm. um, and it's also on a service called ClickView, which yeah. is a bit of a Netflix type service. And there's lesson plans on there as well. Any school in Australia, the UK, and the US can actually access ClickView. There's a free trial, so they could actually get all of the learning materials and the film that way. And you know, sometimes I get social media messages from kids that are like, "Whoa, this is crazy!" Like. My teacher just told me I had to watch this, but it's actually blowing my mind. <laughs> Those are the absolute best messages, you know. Have, have you got an idea of actually how many people might have actually watched this film? At this stage, I have no idea because it's on Amazon Prime in the US. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's also, we've screened it 70 or so times. We passed 60 a while ago and I stopped counting them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a while ago. Plus, it was on Vimeo on demand for a while. It's not at the moment, but we might put it put it back up it just wasn't getting many views and it's sort of a costly service yeah, yeah. but um yeah i mean thousands of people have watched it and when it was first finished i just wanted to screen it once and prior to this um i had actually made a stab at the whole film and tv industry but i think my ego was in it mm. at that time mm. you know and like i'm gonna be the female steve Irwin. i don't know what i was thinking <laughs> and, but i think it definitely out uh, there is like a cockiness there yeah. and and you cool. see that in a lot of people trying to make their way into this area. Sure. And that's why I always tell people keep, so long as your ego is out of it, mm. you're fine. Yeah. And that's where yeah. with this topic, it was totally different. It had nothing to do with serving my own aims. I just wanted to correct some bullshit. Yeah. And that's all that it was about. Yeah. And, and obviously we'll, we'll include links to, for people more or less, I'd just head straight to the rubberjellyfish.com uh, website, provides a whole bunch of links and in, information around how people can view it, whether it's in your school or individually. But I, I guess moving past the individual actions to potentially mitigate this balloon issue, is there sort of some key messages or key actions that government could actually, you know, implement to go a long way to addressing this issue? Absolutely. The tricky thing, at least here in Australia, is that any waste-related issues are handled at the state level. So it's not a matter of convincing the right person in federal government that we should enact this across the whole country. Mm. We can't unless they change that mm. rule. So it's more about um, putting pressure on your local area and state. A lot of councils have banned balloon releases at at council mm. events, but that's obviously not enough. The film has been um, one of its best tools, I think, has been just being a tool for activists. Mm. So there is a fantastic 
activist out of Fremantle who hosted a couple of screenings and she actually invited the local ministers and they got balloon releases banned in Fremantle mm, as a result mm, of that. Mm. And she had been pushing this issue for years. Yeah. But some people just need to see it in a visual form, I think. Same thing with Queensland. It was legal. I had actually got people from Queensland government on the phone and they said that they had never issued a penalty for it and they didn't intend to. And after the film came out, and I'm not sure if there's any relationship there, um, but they they put on their website that balloons were considered litter and that releasing them was a violation of the Litter Act. So, which, and, but, you know, if you're in New South Wales or the ACT, they actually have a rule that you can release up to 19. What? Yeah. And, yeah. And it's silly. And you see, like, you might, I've seen on Neighbours, I think it was Neighbours or Home and Away, one of those type of shows, a balloon release. And I was like, 19. Wow. Yeah. Right, because that's all that they can legally do. And it's ridiculous. Like, you know, it only takes one balloon to bring down an animal. But what's funny about that is it seems so ridiculous. But that was actually one of the, I think New South Wales might have been the first state to have any kind of legislation around this. And at a certain point, like the film talks about this, at a certain point, people were doing these crazy balloon releases of into the thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions in some cases. And if there was like a new shopping center, they would do a balloon release. And so Lance Ferris, who was the founder of Australian Seabird Rescue, he was actually one, the one that lobbied the government to stop that and to make the mass huge balloon releases illegal. And so that's how they got it down to 19. But now it's like they just need to go the whole hog and just get rid of it completely. For, I also got tried to get on many times to people in New South Wales government. I ha, I'd never forget this one lady. Um, she had such um, such an attitude in her voice when I wasn't giving her any. And all she kept, I kept saying, why have that limit of 19? Why not make it zero? And she kept saying, because we want to strike a balance between people that want to do this for ceremonial reasons, the environmental cost. Like we don't want to have the huge balloon releases, but we still want to allow, have a balance there for some people are going to mm. use it as a, as part of a ceremony. But bizarre. yeah, like, it's, it's truly bizarre. And it, it's wild to me that New South Wales and ACT haven't changed. Yeah. I, I, Anyone that's in that area, I really recommend you write to your ministers. Yeah. Well, I, I'm going to make a commitment. I'm going to look into legislation around this because I actually do think existing legislation already prevents this, these balloon releases at least. Um, and I don't think, I don't subscribe to the 19 limit. I'm sure under the Environmental Act in Queensland, you cannot release any contaminant uh, or pollutant into the environment. And I'm sure it wouldn't be a stretch to label a, uh, a balloon as a contaminant or pollutant. And also in New yeah. South Wales, there's the Protection of the Environmental Operations Act of 1997, and that provides similar legislation. I, I'm sure that's the same thing in Victoria. Leave it with me. I'm going to look into this further because I actually think existing legislation already is present to prevent and make this illegal. But I guess the key thing is just because something's illegal doesn't mean a state-based organisation is going to enforce that legislation. But again, with, with enough sort of political support and, I guess, encouragement for the state government to actually do something about this issue, that will change. Yeah. And there's plenty of people that don't want to break the law. And so by letting them know that this behaviour is illegal... For a lot of people, that that will stop it. It won't stop everybody, you know, but it will stop a lot. Mm. Yeah, but it would be fascinating to kind of like speak to an environmental lawyer yeah, yeah. and find out like, does this legislation actually contradict this like bullshit nineteen balloon thing? Yeah, that's why I say leave that with me because I've got a couple of lawyers that I can talk to in the ocean protect space. We often have to deal with lawyers on various things, and this is one thing that we could provide some assistance with. And yeah, for me, sure. it wouldn't, wouldn't be that difficult. But I, I, look, I feel as though we're um, 
I could talk to this or, or, or talk about this issue. Mm-hmm. I guess the key thing is, from my perspective, is if you haven't already, I'd really encourage people to watch the Rubber Jellyfish movie. Uh, more or less, head to the Rubber Jellyfish website and uh, check it out. Obviously, there's a shortened version on YouTube. If you've got a school or you're a school kid and want to encourage your mates or get your mates to watch it, I'd certainly encourage um, you to sort of have a chat to your teacher or your principal about getting it uh, screened in your school. Obviously, you can come along to one of these Waves of Change events hosted by Sea Shepherd Australia or one of the other sort of, I guess, many events that are screening this video. I guess I guess the great question, Carly, is is what's next for you? Yeah, I'm actually very slowly working on a film going terrestrial this time mm. and um, looking at koalas and habitat loss, how that's affecting koalas and, and kind of the unique angle, because I always like to bring my own personal narrative to a story, is about For someone that wants to buy a home, so as part of the film, I actually did purchase my first home, but I didn't want to buy into a habitat clearing scheme. And for many, in a nutshell, Queensland government, and this is the case in most states, will actually put money, I think it's about $15,000, give you a grant as a first-time home buyer, but on the proviso that you buy a brand new home. Mm. And then the developers will often match that grant. But usually this means um, habitat lots that are on land that was recently cleared. So in the past, I was actually a fauna spotter. I was the person Mm, that actually mm. was on the ground as trees were cleared and animals had to be removed and relocated. But it was just crap. You know, after a while, I couldn't do it anymore because... You, in some cases, you'd be trying to relocate yeah. something like a possum and, and you're walking around the forest trying to work out where to put it. And yeah. I remember one time literally seeing the bum of a possum sticking out of a hollow. Mm. And that should never, ever happen. It's because the, the land was already way over capacity and, yeah. you, and they just keep clearing and clearing yeah. and trying to move those same animals back into those tiny areas that have a limited carrying yeah. capacity yeah. for animals. It doesn't work like that. And the clearers would, would were kind of getting a free pass to clear so long as they had a wildlife professional there Mm, mm. but wildlife needs more than a wildlife professional they actually need bloody land so it was important to me not to buy into that sort of scheme but we're in a major housing housing crisis properties are few and far between property prices are going up and so for a lot of people that they feel that those schemes are the only way to get into a home and you can't blame them we all need a place to live Mm. we're all just doing the best we can in life but i would like to see pressure put on governments to allow that those grants to be used for any kind of mm, home. Mm. Yeah. Oh, fundamentally, we've we've got to stop clearing land. Um, like I think a lot of people yeah. really underestimate um, the amount of clearing that's happening uh, yes. globally, but particularly in Australia and particularly yep. where I am in Queensland. Like yep. I was talking to a sort of a colleague the other day and, and we're talking about climate change or whatever, and he was talking about planting trees. And I said, oh, what we've got to do is stop knocking down trees. And he's like, oh, we don't knock down many trees anymore, do we? I'm like, you kidding me? Like in Queensland, the last stats I saw were clearing about 500 to 600 football-sized areas of vegetation every day. So Australia has got one of the highest rates of deforestation in the world. Queensland is, I think, the leading state, when I use the term leading loosely. A key reason for that is uh, defor. Sorry, clearing for livestock. Uh, But obviously, to your point, a lot of a lot some clearing is due to expanding urban environments and fundamentally, particularly where the koalas are, because they they sort of hug the coast like we do. Yeah, and fundamentally, when you clear land, these animals generally don't have anywhere else to go. So if you clear the land, they basically die. So yeah, it's a leading cause of deforestation, leading cause of biodiversity loss, not just koalas, but certainly obviously in Australia, we've got a whole bunch of iconic species and it just has to stop from a water quality perspective, from a biodiversity, from climate change perspective, we've got to stop clearing trees. But if you're in a position to tell that story, 
Fantastic. Look, and, and you mentioned you, were, you you got your camera from JB Hi-Fi and you basically winged it, but it has to be said the, the rubber jellyfish movie. I've got a different movie, one now. <laughs> it has to be said the rubber jellyfish movie is extremely professionally done. Like I would not know it was done by someone without any film experience. Um, so it looks top-notch. Uh, so Thank congratulations you. On the movie. <laughs> from a technical perspective, but certainly from a from a storytelling perspective, it, it really is a wonderful uh, piece of work. And, and for that, I really congratulate you on doing Thank a, a wonderful job and continuing to spread this message. It's certainly seen been seen more than once. <laughs> and so, uh, and I'm sure it'll be seen uh, by many, many, many more people to come. Oh, thank you so much, Brad, and wonderful to chat. And I'm yeah. so, so supportive of your work as well. It's very inspiring. Yeah, cool. No, very, thanks, very inspiring. thanks so much. Carly, thanks so much for coming on our show. And I uh, look forward to uh, catching up soon. Awesome. Boom, boom. Thanks for listening to the Ocean Protect podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us and what we do, check us out at oceanprotect.com.au.